0: From her early struggles to her groundbreaking discoveries, we are discussing the remarkable life and achievements of the scientists who defied gender norms to make history as Switzerland's first
1: female chemistry professor. Welcome to Sweet Defiance, the podcast where we pair delicious sweets with compelling stories of forgotten historic women who made great achievements in science.
0: My name is Beatrice, and I'll be your guide to the life and accomplishment of extraordinary
1: individuals. I am Eva, the scientific mind behind this podcast, bringing expertise and knowledge to uncover the wonders of the natural world. Yay, another real episode. So exciting. I think Eva chose the topic for today's episode. Yeah, I did. Well, we were looking for ideas on whom to feature. And uh, as we are both from Switzerland, we thought maybe there are some forgotten uh, female science heroes here in Switzerland. And so I've had a look and we found Gertrude Walker, who has just an amazing story. And I think we didn't have a hard time deciding on her. We made a really cool drink that we're going to share on social media. We call it the chemistry (laughs) spritz. Yeah, so usually when you want to make a spritz, you need some booze and something carbonated, uh, which is usually just water or maybe fizzy wine. Sometimes you don't have that, but you still want something fizzy. So one idea would be to add a bit of baking soda and a bit of citric acid to your drink and then it starts to bubble and to foam. And maybe a challenge for any listeners out there, create a cocktail where the taste of baking soda actually complements the other ingredients.
0: Oh yes, and please tag us and share on social media. You can find us at Sweet Defiance on any platform. So we're going to be excited to hear back from you. When I looked at the sources, I found a documentary about her, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Did,
1: you, did you watch it too? I watched it too, yeah. It was very, very interesting also to see how people rediscovered her. Gertrude was born 30 years after Switzerland became
0: a federal state, like a federal country. Bern is the federal city. It's really complicated. So Switzerland doesn't have a capital city. It, it doesn't. doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. They, they couldn't decide on which city they wanted to be the capital of Switzerland. Mm. So they were discussing for a long time and then they finally gave up. They were just also talking about rotating it. So like it would be Geneva, then Zurich, and every couple of years they would rotate. Oh, that sounds like a mess. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of bureaucracy. (laughs) So in the end, they decided to just say, yes, I guess it's Bern, but we're going to put the university in different cities so that every kind of city gets something important, even though we call Bern like the federal city, but not the capital. Maybe side note, today we just call it the capital. Yes. (laughs) It's like very um, trivial knowledge
1: if you know that we don't have a capital. (laughs) So, Gertrude was born in 1878, 30 years after the modern state of Switzerland was founded. Mm -hmm. Gertrude, she came from a very wealthy and important family.
0: They lived in a bit outside of uh, Bern, the capital, and she really enjoyed being in nature. She always talked about nature. Her father was a history professor of church history and also for general history, and he was very popular with the students. The students would come on Friday nights, I think, and they would talk about politics and and history, of course. And she already grew up in this environment of very intellectual people and so intellectual circles.
1: I think I read somewhere that as a as a girl, Gertrude really hated everything that was related to handicraft, <laughs> sewing and knitting, and she was forced to do it, and she really couldn't stand it. She
0: she really knew what she wanted from very early age on, and uh, it's interesting, her father always advocated for girls to be admitted to colleges and go to universities as well, but when it came to his own daughter, Gertrude, he said no, and sent her off to Elfwood, where she was supposed to learn those typical. Uh, household things like cooking which he didn't like at all of course and she spent all nights learning for her college courses so she just took them in secret and then I think she went into a depressive episode because of sort of way too much work for her and then they sent her back and then her father finally gave in and sent her to college after that she passed with summa cum laude which is the highest mark you could get Immediately after, she decided to do her PhD in chemistry as well, which she also passed summa cum laude of best grades.
1: In all of her subjects, if you recall correctly.
0: Yeah, even the newspaper in Bern wrote about her, saying that in every single subject, she
1: she had summa cum laude, which was really exceptional. Yeah. Biochemistry itself was, by the time she did her dissertation, which was in the very early 1900s, was a very new subject. So the early 1900s or late 1800s, they were scientifically an interesting period because a lot of subjects that were thought to be previously very, very different and very distinct started to overlap. And then you get these things like biochemistry or physical chemistry, physical biology, and people started to work in these in-between areas. (laughs) Uh, that being said, because those were very new topics, there was not a lot of funding around for that kind of research at that time. The funding mostly went to the well-established big groups and uh, renowned professors, and it was very hard to get funding for new and emerging topics, such as the one uh, Gertrude Walker was working on. Yes, so she was the first
0: female with a PhD in chemistry in Switzerland, which was really cool, and the first chemistry
1: lecturer in Switzerland. Although getting this lectureship was really hard in itself, I think she was a lecturer for the history of chemistry. Although the university apparently uh, ensured her that this would not make a difference and she could basically talk about anything else, but they wouldn't give her a title as lecturer in chemistry, but in history of chemistry. Yeah, and she didn't even get paid for that. So they gave
0: her the lectureship, but she didn't get any money for it, even though others, other lecturers, of course, get paid for their job, but she didn't. In between, she also briefly went to Berlin where she started connecting with other women in the suffrage movement, which was also really interesting. And then she came back and submitted a proposal. They said, we cannot have an educational women's rights activist teach the men about things that have been the task of men since almost the beginning of the world. So this is an alarming shift and we cannot have that. So she should be teaching history of and not the subject itself. (laughs) Yeah, just hatching that because yeah it's really
1: outrageous (laughs) yeah you mentioned this trip to berlin as you said she went to berlin after submitting her phd thesis and before starting her lectureship and besides making connections to the suffragette movement there she also well she went to to lectures at university she couldn't really enroll as a student to further her education so she had to ask every single lecturer for permission to be a guest in the lectures. Mm-hmm. But um, Germany was really at the forefront of this type of research, um, of these topics she was interested in. One person we can mention, which was conducting research at this time in Germany, was Fritz Haber. It was a very interesting point in time for Biochemical research, because amazing things were invented, such as chemical fertilizers. So they found ways on how to produce ammonia from nitrogen. And nitrogen Mm -hmm. is very abundant in the air. You breathe oxygen, but most of the air is actually nitrogen. Harper found the Harper-Bosch process, which allowed to produce huge amounts of ammonia from nitrogen. You can turn that into fertilizer. and This has helped grow a lot more crops. um, Mm -hmm. And they advertised it as turning, well, bread out of air. (laughs) Now we will see that it was not only bread out of air, but very soon there were a lot more harmful things. The fertilization
0: is really interesting because, of course, we're in the age of the industrialization. So everyone moved into the city, but they still had to kind of keep up the demand for food and groceries. So that's really interesting. I read that she got offered a lectureship or even a professorship in Leipzig, but she decided to stay in Bern, even though she could have gone to Germany. In Bern, they actually offered her then this lab that she received. They wanted to keep her just so she wouldn't go somewhere else. Every time she asked for adequate resources or budget, they kept saying that it doesn't seem suitable in her use of methodologies to fund her. The only way she actually made some money was by publishing papers and books.
1: Well, you said uh, she had to publish books uh, to support herself, and actually she wrote Uh, some of the standard textbooks that were used in the field of uh, catalysts and of biochemistry for years and years and decades afterwards. She really helped to disseminate this knowledge, I think at least in the German-speaking world. Now, uh, if we want to talk about some of the research that Gertrude Walker did... Her inaugural lecture was called Problems in Catalytic Research. So she was really interested in catalysts. So my first thought is cars. Yes. <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> in general, a catalyst is a substance that helps to speed up or to ease a chemical reaction. And the catalyst in this process is not being used up. So, a non chemical idea on how to think about this is if you are on top of a hill and Mm -hmm. you walk down, Mm -hmm. it will take you a certain amount of time and it might be kind of exhausting. But if you had a catalyst, say a bicycle, you could sit on the bicycle, you ride downhill, it's super quick, doesn't take a lot of energy. And the bike is still there at the end of the ride. It doesn't disappear. Nice. <laughs> That's incredibly useful, for example, when you want to speed up chemical reactions, when you want to produce something in large quantities, in industrial scales. Industrialization, again. Yes. If you then go to the more biological or biochemistry side, you have enzymes. Enzymes are catalysts that are found... In living organisms, more or less, so in cells. And when you think of your cells as chemical factories, which they actually are, (laughs) you have... Enzymes in incredible numbers and varieties in your body that help facilitate all kinds of chemical reactions. As we are in our story in the early 1900s, well, the significance and also the way how enzymes work were fairly discovered. So this was really an interesting time when people looked into what are enzymes? Where do they come from? What kind of reactions do they facilitate? One of the ways people could find out about enzymes was by taking yeast. You can take yeast to ferment dough to make bread. The scientists were looking into which parts of the yeast can you actually isolate and still produce this fermentation? Mm-hmm. Effect okay, mm-hmm. so is it really the whole organism that's needed, or do you just need single parts? And then that's a step by step, you can then decide which are the parts that are actually
0: interesting
1: mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. for the reactions. <laughs> just cutting away until <laughs> you get to <laughs> it so. yeah. Uh, so Gertrude was not really working with yeast or fermentation, but he was, for example, working with the vitamin F or vitamin. C, which are very important compounds in the body, which we cannot produce ourselves.
0: in 1924 she actually started traveling she went to the u.s she joined the women's international league for peace and freedom and she gave many many lectures even some keynote speeches and they all they were all usually just women attending and they cheered them on so they filled like huge like usually churches that's like kind of the spaces that they got and they talk kind of about the war and of course Gertrude would be talking about the abuse of the chemical um, gases and things like that they really toured the whole of America and gave all those lectures which is really cool you can hear some commentaries from politicians of course male politicians that deemed them to be uh, insane so they said that this women's group is currently traveling across the country to relieve their nervous tension their obviously overwrought mental state classified them as insane. So as a reaction to her books that she published, they also really
1: actively now try to defame her. So those are now not the chemistry textbooks. So she wrote a book about chemical warfare. I had a look at the books. There's a whole table with, um, well, chemical formulas and the temperature and where they would actually turn into gases and the concentrations that you need for them to be harmful. So she really used her chemical knowledge. She has a section on, on most of these gases to actually detail how easily are they produced? Mm-hmm. Are they easy to be mass produced? Can they be used against civilians? What would be the downstream effects of that? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So she really used all of her experience in re- chemical research in how gases act on systems. She writes this book in layman's terms so that everybody can understand the dangers of these chemical compounds, which is very different from having to read a scientific paper.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's also why she was so popular in the women's rights movement, because she was the one who could actually break down her science in really layman's terms, and everyone would understand her. They really celebrated her for the way she spoke to them and explained things. In reaction to that book, then, there were some activists that really worked hard to discredit her. And they even went so far as saying that she had an affair with a German general, that she got pregnant. Then they even mixed some toxins into her food so she would abort the baby. She wasn't pregnant. It's no wonder that she ended up being really paranoid.
1: Her boss at the institute in Bern was a very enthusiasts about warfare, even conduct uh, experiments Mm. on the effects of these gases or demonstrations on the power, well, then I'm actually not really surprised that her asks for funding or a bigger lab get turned down if the head of the department or her boss are just that have so different opinions.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's why she left for the summer. But she was really aware of that. And she never um, wavered from her position, which was really impressive because she knew that her career would tank because of this. From a very young age, you can see that she really knew what she wanted and she just went for it. She actually had to flee America then because of those accusations. It got worse and worse. She even got a bottle of cyanide that she took with her so she could even die on her own terms so no one could come capture her having agency was really important to her but then a colleague of hers from this women's league actually convinced her to give the bottle over to her because she didn't want her to die by suicide it was interesting on one article it stated that even this women's league then kind of abandoned her because of this bad publicity that kept getting worse and worse and they sent her back to Europe but in that documentary it's framed differently that she actually went back in to protect her mental state a bit and
1: Well, one way or another, she returned to Bern.
0: Yes, but there, the attempts to discredit her continued. In 1928, she actually convinced the university that they needed a professorship for biochemistry. And even though she was the one fighting for this professorship, she, of course, did not get it. And in 1933 another groundbreaking book was published. There she just collected articles and speeches from what she did earlier like from the touring in the USA. She also addressed new topics like anti-militarism, scientific ethics. The book really is uh, got very popular. It was even in 1933 it was even one of those chosen by the national uh, the German nationalists to be burned. And then finally, 1933, after 30 years, she finally received her professorship, but she was still paid very little for. It. She received 2,400 Swiss francs a year, which is even less than the janitor at the same university receives. Wow.
1: And I think I read it needed a lot of international pressure for her to finally get.
0: Yes, benefit. definitely. Like before, in the very beginning, the German university wanted her to come and then the University of Bern had to kind of uh, compromise and give her her lab. And now they have to compromise
1: and finally give her her professorship because she was got really popular and renowned in her field. Yeah, so I've had a look at the list of her publications. She was publishing all those years, even while uh, doing her peace work while advocating for peace, while writing textbooks for chemistry, while writing books on chemical warfare. She did still has quite the track record of scientific publications.
0: When she returned from the U.S., her illusions of persecution continued. She always felt like she was being followed. She could never let that go. She still did not waver from her mission in life. She kept going to conferences and toured through Europe until she was 80 or 85. So uh, she kept doing her speeches and kept doing what was important to her until the very end. She could never shake this paranoia that she, she had from her experience.
1: In the US. The paranoia was not completely unfounded, was it? Because many years later it uh, was apparent that the Swiss state actually spied on her Mm -hmm. because she was conceived, well, maybe not an enemy of the state, but certainly a suspicious person. Yeah, and a lot of it actually worked for a long time because. Gertrude Walker was mostly forgotten Mm -hmm. for a very long time.
0: Only two years before she passed, she was put in this mental hospital in Neuchâtel. And there she was also cremated, but no one picked up her urn for over two years. Her family finally got a call, like uh, her niece, and she picked up the urn. And then she puts her to rest at the family graveside next to her father, which was really nice, up at the chalet. It's a really nice family house that they have overlooking the sea. But there's no headstone, nothing. In the documentary, it's really nice. When Martin, her great-nephew, installed, the headstone honoring not only her but also her parents they weren't even aware that she was like a historic figure or anything they didn't they didn't know anything about her
1: even the more reason to celebrate that there is now a documentary there was a a book published on the very early female scientists of the university of bern and i think there were some articles on swiss television too
0: yes and she has two small streets that are named after her one in bern and one in dusseldorf in Germany. According to the documentary, one of the nephews or grand nephews even said he was he only started to get interested in her when he saw that there's a uh, street named after her. And then he was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> and he, he started researching who she was. I'm excited to see who we're going to talk about next. And until then, cheers. Cheers. You can find the recipe for the chemistry spritz on all of our social media and on our website. Tag us in your photos once you've crafted the spritz so we can feature it on our page. Cheers and stay defiant.
1: You can find our sources in the show notes. If you enjoy the show and want to help us grow, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.